Hello, friends, and welcome to AOK, the podcast about people on the aromantic and asexual spectrums. I'm your Aeroice host, Courtney Lang, and joining us today is Christy, who is a movement artist with disabilities. Hi. Hi, Courtney. Yeah, thanks for being here. Oh, it's such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Of course. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I am 24 years old. I like to use they, them pronouns, but I'm also okay with the she, her. Um, just more of a public or um, distant relations kind of thing. And I identify as being gray, arrow, and gray ace. Great. Um, mm. What does being gray, arrow, and gray ace mean for you? Mm. Um, it... It means so many things to me, and it's kind of like when you sit back and you look at a puzzle that you kind of have half solved and you just kind of want to look at that complete image. I think growing up, um, it's had a lot for me. I think I was told that I was um, aced by someone who was not informed at all, so oh. it's kind of pejorative yeah. when I was a kid. And for some reason, that label has always stuck in the back of my mind, and I think now, like, reclaiming it has been really important. So um, I think the label in itself has been important. Um, I think romance for me doesn't come conventionally. Um, and it's more of like platonicism plus. Okay, what does that mean? Yeah, um, so I think for me as someone who's A-spec, a lot of the relationships I engage in are just such like deep meaningful friendships and um, you know like we cuddle together or we spend time like kissing each other's foreheads or we make sure that everyone's okay and we check in and we you know we do things for each other and that's a lot of what people seem to do in conventional relationships yes. or allosexual or alloromantic relationships yeah. um, and that kind of platonicism like I think it carries over to um, any situation where I would ever find myself dating. So, okay. Yeah. It's, Have, yeah. Yeah. Have you ever tried dating? Yes. Um, most of the time, it just, I, I didn't really feel anything, but I just stayed far longer than I wished to. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, this isn't horrible. So right. I guess like this is, this is a thing that people do. Yeah. I relate to that. Mm. Um, what's the longest you think it's gone? Mm, maybe like two years. Wow. Okay, that's yeah. not relatable. <laughs> <laughs> maybe for the better. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that's that. So long. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And was that one of those where you just stayed in it way longer than you wanted to? Um, I think at the end of it, um, so it was actually very complicated, and I think there were dynamics of of trauma interlaced within it. Mm-hmm. But at the end of it, I actually didn't want to leave because I was so reliant on the other person. Yeah. But it wasn't love. It was maybe something else, and it was very hypersexual, even though that's not really me at all. So, right. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, when did you – so you said that someone told you you were ace when mm-hmm. you were pretty young. Mm-hmm. When did you figure it out kind of for yourself? Maybe several years ago. Okay. <laughs> so what what is that gap? Like, how long is that? I think I've been um, – pejoratively told that I was ace maybe when I was in elementary school and I think it's it's fairly common that in occasions where I've heard where um, people go around and they ask oh who do you have a crush on I'm like why would I have a crush yeah like I I'm here eating like pasta like why are you why are you talking to me about this I have no interest in this and they're like okay between these two people pick one and I would be like well I think this person is nicer I think this person has kind eyes or something and they're like oh so you like them I'm like 
No, I, I honestly really don't. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yes. Yeah. I totally get that. Yeah. <laughs> did you ever have to pick between two people that you just didn't? I, I totally did. So, <laughs> yeah. So, I would actually, I was often asked who I liked, and I would just throw out a random name. Yeah. Because um, at first, you'd be like, I don't like anybody, but no one believes you. Exactly. Nobody ever like, believes you. Like, how could you. you not like anybody? Right. So, like, oh, you're just, you know, not telling us, right? Mm. And they'd bother you and bother you, and finally, you just have to be like, get off my back. Yeah, okay, I like this person. And then, of course, they go tell that person and it becomes oh, like no. a big thing. Yeah. 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 But yes, picking between two people, I definitely had to do that too. And also, why I pick between two? If you like two people, like, like two people. So. Right. It's, <laughs> yeah, that's such a good point. Why do you have to like only one person? Mm-hmm. Wow. Like, I've never even thought of that. I can't imagine only having like one friend. So why, right. do, why do people feel like boxed need, in? Yeah, one crush. <gasps> I can't imagine one crush. No. So it's just as easy for me not to imagine two or more crushes. Right. So like, why not? Yeah. Are you, have you also never really had a best friend? Yeah. Growing up, I didn't. You have a bunch of like best friends, but not just one. Okay. Me too. And I think a lot of people would have that mistaken notion like, oh, you're very lonely. I'm like, no, I'm actually very fulfilled. Like (laughs) I, I don't want to say this, um, but if I may be so bold as to say like, I might be more fulfilled than the average person. Yeah. In that sense. Sometimes I feel like that. Yeah. My cup is full. Yeah. Yeah. It feels bad saying it, but also I'm like, I'm not. But you're not. Yeah. If you take a step back, I'm not unhappy. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. People just think you must be. But you can't perpetuate the myth. It's just all about being authentic and being like, I really like the people I'm around with. Yeah. Oh, that was well put. (laughs) Um, Has your orientation ever been in flux? So many times. Okay, tell me about that. Yeah, I, I just think I'm like a fluid-filled person. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> I, I don't think a lot of what I am is static. Okay. Um, and I think it's okay to grow and live in between things. Um, so I at first identified as straight because I guess I was dating so many cis men and I was AFAB, so assigned female at birth. So I I just felt like, okay, this is, I'm straight. Like, this is the only possibility. Um, And I broke up with that partner I had been with for so long. And the first thing I did was like immediately, hmm, I'm going to go on a dating app. And it says, oh, you can choose people of other genders. And I'm like, why not? So I I guess I was, I considered myself bisexual. And then I realized like going on dates with people of many genders, I realized like, oh, I don't feel bisexual. Right. (laughs) I feel like I love people who identify with their genders in a positive way and it's affirming. And I love people of many genders, but I don't feel sexually, like it doesn't change my lack of sexual desire most of the time. Right. Yeah. So there's been that. Yeah. Um, and I also found out during that time of exploration, like, I just don't really feel a lot of things when I'm dating people. Like, I just feel like, wow, I'm going on a very great extended hangout with, like, a friend. And I can never tell if they're, like, flirting with me. Or... Yes. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I don't know. Like, what does it mean when someone's flirting? Because I don't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. Um, that's huge because... It does feel like you're just on an extended hangout with mm-hmm. a friend mm-hmm. or with someone who's trying to be your friend. Exactly. Like friendship chemistry. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like people really disregard that. And I find that um, before I disclosed right in the beginning, like, hey, like I'm a gender and sexual minority, like and I'm on the ace and aero spectrum, like right. people would go in and 
you know, all of this would be an overture for something else. And I'm like, but I'm also really enjoying this time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm enjoying sharing food and company and hearing your stories. And I'm enjoying that we're doing adventures together. And I feel like that's often disregarded. And like, but isn't that kind of the whole purpose of dating? It is. Like getting to know people. And when you take that sexual piece out of it, I don't know what the difference is. <gasps> yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned um, the sexual desire. Mm -hmm. Um, Is there a difference for you between the sexual desire and sexual attraction? I feel like I can be sexually attracted to people, but I'm not in control of that. I feel like I have a sexual desire, and this is part of the part where my, um, um, what is it called? My sexual identity is more fluid or in flux. when I feel emotionally like in tune with this person, I feel like very connected. Um, and I'm not sure if that counts as like romantic love. Right. So I'm not really sure what it all means, but I have gone back and forth between uh, Demi and Grey and just wanting wanting a label, but also realizing like queer fits me yes. really well. <laughs> I, I feel that too. Like mm-hmm. labels are, and I've talked about this with someone else on the podcast, but they feel a little like restrictive. They can be. Or definitive. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And like they, they're really nice, but mm-hmm. sometimes it's like, I just want to yeah. just like, like put them away for a second mm-hmm. and just say I'm queer and just like, as long <laughs> as you know, I'm not straight. That's all I need. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of like where it comes, comes down to. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've described yourself as an Asian non-binary femme pole dancer. Yeah. <laughs> um, with disabilities. Absolutely. So how do all of these aspects of yourself intersect? Sure. Um, so I guess the first thing that people can tell about me Um, would be the visible parts of my identity. So absolute first thing I think um, is that people can tell that I'm Asian. So Mm -hmm. I'm Korean American um, and there has been just this really long history of Asian fetishization in the US and in Korea um, a lot of people, um, well it's like a a colonized space Mm -hmm. I feel like and a lot of the culture is um, has a lot to do with trauma reactions so um, I have a very complicated relationship with being femme and being Asian at the same time because right. a lot of the things that I thought um, fit me well were actually um, pieces of the trauma culture, I find. So, um, for example, when I was more sexually active, like into the BDSM and kink culture, um, I found I was into it more for the connection, but mm-hmm. I found that the partners that I attracted we're also looking for someone who is specifically Asian and femme. Ugh. That was a bit tricky. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's not disclosed. Right. I think people are maybe predatorial or ashamed of it and it's not talked about. So I found that it's it's nice to not have to focus on that part of my yeah. life. Yeah. <laughs> Dang. Okay. And you were, how long were you in that? What, what did you call it? BDSM and? Or like kink culture. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, it wasn't super long. I think it was like maybe a few years of me exploring um, and then realizing, hmm, like, I feel like my plumbing works really well, but I, <laughs> yep. it doesn't have anything to do with my desire. Like, I don't desire a lot of it. Right. So, so another part about being Asian and femme is that um, you have an expectation in a conventionally set up relationship where, like, the Asian femme person is, like, the provider and the giver and the caretaker. And I think racializing it and taking into account the racial history of um, – the labor of Asian femmes throughout and like them being the backbone of so many parts of society 
Um, I think, you know, a lot of the things that I've enjoyed, like I love cooking, I love being in my house. And a lot of that was like reclaiming my identities. Um, But it also has been used as leverage to like, oh, you're going to like not amount to much because capitalism or because you're so much better at this, I'm going to constrain the role that you have in a relationship without asking or with pressure. So yeah, that's been hard. But it doesn't happen anymore. I think Um, in general, like I don't really like dating, but if I ever do have to, I don't think I would date another white cis man ever. So (laughs) I feel that. Yeah. (laughs) So the other part of me that's the invisible part Uh is the disabled part of me. And there's like that myth that is perpetuated that disabled people can't have sex. Right. Which is definitely a myth. Mm -hmm. I know so many disabled people who have sex. And I think being disabled means that you're so good with communication. You're so good with knowing your body. You absolutely have to know your limits. Mm -hmm. So I feel like, you know, being disabled, being sexual, being um, queer, kinky, all of that can come together. But at the same time, like my personal disability means that I'm so tired that I can't really produce like the hormones to like feel heightened sexual desire anyways. Mm -hmm. So most of the time I'm just like literally too tired for it. And it's like, it's very energy intensive. So um, I think that the popular argument is like, can I have sex or can I eat cake? And if it's gluten-free, I'll eat the cake. (laughs) Yes. If it's gluten-free, yeah. I'll eat the cake. <laughs> um, yeah, totally. And being disabled, you have to advocate for yourself all the time. Absolutely. So you do know your body well, and mm-hmm. you do know what you need because you're so used to talking about yeah. it. Absolutely. Like I find that some of the best writers that I come across um, have these kinds of marginalized identities. And when you're disabled, a lot of what goes on is very invisible. Mm-hmm. And just some of the most poignant works that I found came from people who can talk about um, feeling like they're living a life that's not as securely tethered to this world, but then also they try. Yes. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of beauty in that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, (laughs) that's the, that's kind of like one very visible part of my identity and one very invisible part. So um, I don't know for the people who are listening to this, um, I don't really have um, any physically presenting symptoms of my illness but for anyone who has seen me or talked to me or know me close up um you can tell that having fatigue and pain is like it's very visible actually it's a lack of what we're doing so um on my bad days I'm here I'm at home um I'm resting and on my good days I look like I present into the able body culture Mm -hmm. yeah yeah but you know there's there's so many benefits to having the identities I have um, come together and I feel like when I'm on the pole or when I'm writing or when I'm you know focusing on my work um, there's like a softness that comes through and that can only come from having the identities that I have right yeah um and you mentioned uh people assuming that people with disabilities don't have sex or Mm -hmm. are asexual Mm -hmm. um do you run into any other stereotypes with disabilities with disabilities Mm -hmm. or any of the like the pole dancing aspect actually um, presenting as femme yeah yeah Yeah. um when you're talking about disabled folks i think there's also um a myth that we're very um tragic 
like the travesty and right. it's it's kind of like the travesty quote unquote of being ace yes. <laughs> like oh i feel so bad for yeah. you and i'm like i'm fine yeah. like i've accepted that there are right. things that i can't do just like every other person on this planet like not everybody would feel comfortable with pole dancing right and i think some of these people would be okay with that yeah. like not everyone feels comfortable walking around 24 7 and that just happens to be me right yeah <laughs> yes Oh, there's such a travesty kind of <laughs> feel to everything. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I have days where I do feel bad for myself, but it gets mm-hmm. tiring feeling bad for yourself. Exactly. And like yeah. the only reason you feel bad for yourself is because other people other tell people you that, that you should feel bad for yourself. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh, maybe there is something wrong and maybe mm-hmm. I am missing out mm-hmm. and like all that bullshit. So much bullshit. So much bullshit. <laughs> Ugh. And it, I, I feel that that's kind of where the pole dancing comes in. Mm-hmm. So on the one hand, it's so visual. Um, if you go anywhere on like the internet, you'll find pole dancing everywhere. I think it's kind of timely that we're doing this podcast after the Super Bowl came out because now I feel like American culture has seen it and it's there in some form or another. So I honestly don't know neither. what you're talking about. Me neither. I didn't watch I didn't, it. And I've I don't, never seen it. I have no like no intrinsic appeal for that stuff. So, so did they pole dance at the Super Bowl? Yeah, they pole dance at the halftime. Okay. Um, and I think you know you can read a lot into it, but basically like. JLo and Shakira, like two Latina moms coming mm-hmm. on stage, successful careers, and, you know, making a pole-themed halftime show. Yeah. And um, it's very controversial, of course, because, yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's appropriate because it's they're performing at a sport event. Mm-hmm. Pole is essentially, like, one of the hardest sports. It, yeah, it can be very challenging. It's so j- challenging. Like, I have pole danced before. Really? Yeah. Amazing. We just have a lot in common. <laughs> um, I used to pole dance a lot. Um, wow. And it was, like, one of the most physically challenging things I've mm-hmm. ever done. Mm-hmm. I don't doubt that. Yeah. And I think that's awesome that you have pole dance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, do you find it difficult? Um, yeah. 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 Um, I, I don't know how else to describe it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's difficult, but in a good way. It's, um, so pole dancing is how I'm visible and I'm known on the internet. Well, maybe not the big internet, but like known in my circle as through being that one with the disabilities who talks a lot about them, who pulls a lot, a lot, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's, it's very vital to who I am. And um, every day before I decide to step into a studio or step into a performance venue, like I have to think to myself like, okay, if this is the last time I can do this, is this okay? Right. And I always have to check in and do those kinds of things. So yeah. in that sense, like the nature of what I do is very sustainable. Um, I think physically, yeah, it's really challenging. Yeah. So um, I have chronic pain. Mm-hmm. So I have uh, fibromyalgia. I might have something called Ehlers-Danlos, which is a connective tissue disorder. Oh. Yeah. And I have something called chronic fatigue syndrome, mm-hmm. um, amongst probably some other things. But what makes that challenging for pole dance is like my body needs to be moving. And it's really good um, – for me to have that opportunity and I find that being upside down is very therapeutic it is. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't do I can't do right side up so I used to like be a runner and I used to do all these things that yeah. I would feel connected to my body and these days I fight really hard for pleasure and sensuality and it, I think it comes together in pole dancing a lot 
Um, and as an ace person, um, I found that there are people on the spectrum who are pole dancing and that's very affirming too. Yeah. yeah. It's so visible that you find a community wherever you go all over the world. And um, a lot of what I do is more like lyrical pole or emotive or contemporary pole. So oh, cool. yeah, it's less to do with presenting in a physical way, but it's more to do with making what's inside outside, which yeah. I really like to do. <gasps> that's so cool. So do you like choreograph it or do you freestyle? Mm. Um, I freestyle like 99.9% of the time. Okay. Um, because I think choreography is exciting and new to me, but I can't predict what my body can and can't do. That's true. Yeah. So yeah. it's a way of being very forgiving is to build that build that into my practice. That's very smart. <laughs> it's a good way of adapting. That's yeah. a great way to adapt. Mm-hmm. I feel like I would never have the foresight to do that. Mm, but now you know. <laughs> yeah, but now I know. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, what got you started pole dancing? Mm, um, my... I, so I used to work at a coffee shop, and oh. one of my friends, my dear, dear friends who also loves cats, um, <laughs> she had a background in all sorts of dance, and she said, oh, hi, I really want to get into this, and I want to do it with someone. I think that's really important for me. And she showed me a video of um, a pole dancer just, like, spinning in the air, just doing a simple pole yeah. combo. And I just thought it was the most beautiful thing ever. And it just looks so, like, natural for her. And a lot of people say, like, oh, it's so sexy or empowering. And I'm like, I didn't really, like, I can certainly see that. But for me, it's like, oh, it looks like she was meant to be there. Yeah. And it's so authentic. So it was less about, like, people projecting sexiness. And for me, like, that awe-inspiring moment of, like, oh, upside down. Oh, yeah. freedom. Yeah. Um, and that person ended up being my pole teacher. <gasps> So, what? Yeah, so she traveled all around the world, and then she came back, and then I took her class, and I'm like, wow, I finally get to meet you in person. That is so cool. Yeah. Um, where did you take the class? Uh, so I started at Dollhouse Pole Dance Studio. You too? I did too. Yay! <laughs> that place, good place is so fun. Yeah, it's a good place. That's great. It's in northeast Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For anyone who wants to yeah. try it. Anyone who wants to check <laughs> it out, highly recommend. Yeah. They have, like, a little shop connected, too, where mm-hmm. you can, like buy gear if you don't have it it's it's really it's just made to be nice yeah yes yeah it's so fun Mm -hmm. great yeah um and so obviously being ace and arrow have nothing to do with you know race gender or disabilities Mm -hmm. um but as we all know sex education is so bad Ah! like so bad that people (laughs) just are making all kinds of assumptions Mm -hmm. um so what kinds of things do you think might help make it better Mm. Um, so I think a lot of what I've seen is, um, people are doing this like really great approach these days. And it's like, if not, that's okay too. Like if you don't want to have sex, that's okay. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of that presumption still remains in that it's like abstinence based. Like, oh, if you want to wait, that's okay. Like what happens if like you never want to have sex and that's okay. Yeah. (laughs) So um, I think it it really lacks nuance, and I think we're getting better at representing different bodies, Um, but thinking about this as like an intrinsic choice for some people or not a choice at all is really important too. So we have a lot of like, um, in the Twin Cities, I feel like a lot of good queer representation, but it's also what happens when you don't 
have the sexual desire. I think that's also an example of great queer representation and people aren't, it doesn't immediately come to the forefront of their minds to like hire someone who's ace or aero. Right. But it should, I think they should be there. Yeah. Like visibility matters. I think if somebody told me like, hi, I'm doing sex education and I am somewhere on the spectrum of not feeling that way, yeah. but that's okay too. Like that's one of my goals is like, I wish that I can be a sex educator <sighs> Because I don't have a problem talking about it. I love bodies. I love figuring how they work. Mm -hmm. And I want to, like, you know, make that thing visible because they're baby queers. Yeah. And they're so tender and sweet. And I feel like if they have the opportunity to explore, then that's great. And I also think sex education for older people is important. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah, Definitely. Because we all know sex has let them down a while back. Oh, (laughs) my. So... And no shade, no shade. It's just re-education is always important too. Yes. Um, what do you wish you had learned during sex ed? Mm. Huh. Like if you could go back and somehow change the curriculum. Yeah. Um, I I actually went to school nearby in St. Paul. And um, I actually went up to the sex ed administration and presented them with some things because I am also a sexual trauma survivor. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I have have seen so much and I've been through so much. And as soon as I came out with that story, um, I felt like it was every other week and someone was talking to me about their story. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm really good at organizing information and talking to people and advocating. So why don't I give them the fruits of your labor that you told me. And then if that's okay with you, I can like help to bring that more into fruition. And I don't know how far they took it, but basically like, mm, I think people frame things as sexy too often. Like sex is sexy. Consent is sexy. It's not though. It's just a conversation, like desexualize the conversation. (laughs) Um, and so what we thought was um, trying to figure out, okay, where does the rhetoric start? Like, where were the origins? Were the origins coming from people who they themselves were sexually repressed? Or, like, were the origins coming from, like, let's say, cis men? Mm -hmm. Um, So finding out and, like, carefully sitting down with um, an administration and saying, like, okay, so this thing that is supposedly pro-sex, you need to also make – it pro-choice pro-choice yes. yeah so um and there's so many aspects of that but making things like a series of conversations or saying that being fluid or gray and so many other things and like not being confined into a label or a box is okay right because i find that a lot of times um the lgbtqia and all the rest of the alphabet soup um it's just emphasizes like one letter one person, one community, but yeah. like as you know, like you can step your toes into so many of these. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So fluidity, um, I think, and reframing conversations so that you're not sexualizing the yeah. entire conversation. Yes. Um, and then making sure that invisible identities are represented because mm-hmm. you get that assumption like you're ace, you're straight, and like that could not be further for the truth yeah. for so many people. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, and as weird as it sounds, like, the desexualization of sex might be helpful. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, so, like, that doesn't, that might not make sense out loud, but, like, 
it, they just focus so much on it's sex heavy it's sex heavy so much, and i know it's sex ed but like it's relationships it's how to talk to yes, another person yes how to respect someone yes. regardless of whether or not you're taking your clothes off and having sex exactly so um i also work as like i'm doing freelance fine art modeling mm-hmm. and so i'm nude a lot of the time yeah or i'm implied nude or i'm fully spread and that I've never had a problem with nudity because I don't sexualize it. Right. And so people are like, okay, well, like, what you're doing is you're inciting sexual desire. I'm like, I'm not doing anything. Yeah. Like, I'm literally here making shapes and emotions and expressions and moving in my body, and someone is capturing that respectfully. Right. And I feel like if they don't understand... I feel sad because they might never have had that kind of respectful, desexualized interaction with someone else before. Yes. And I guarantee the majority of the people in that room in an mm-hmm. art class with mm-hmm. a nude model are not, are not, they They're don't not have there time. For it. <laughs> they, they don't have time to be turned on. Like they are, <laughs> they are stressing out about shading. Am I getting the composition and, correct? Right, like they are not seeing it as mm-hmm. like, what you think they might be right. seeing it as. So it's like, oh, I'm not drawing your left butt cheek correctly. Right. I'm so sorry. Or like, oh, the shadow in this photo is just, it's just, you know, it's not enough. Yeah, and like, I need I to make can't, sure. Yeah, like, I can't get the boob right. <laughs> and like, I guarantee they're not being like, oh, yeah, titties. They're being like, I, I mean, can't capture this correctly. The thing about that is you have to be safe, right? Yes. So the first thing that happens is if that ever is a thing, that person kicked out immediately. Oh, for sure. And that, and it's so much safer than so many, like, places that you would go to. So for the queer community, like, a lot of people drink or choose not to drink. But, like, you know, queer queerness and bars just have a weird history. Like, I don't feel very safe in them. Mm-hmm. But I step into a class where I disrobe or, like, I step into a shoot where I have to disrobe. And it's like, oh, okay. That's cool. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, so things we, le- we wish we had learned in sex ed mm-hmm. are – um, or wish were different. Mm-hmm. Uh, desexualizing conversations. Mm-hmm. Learn more about fu- fluidity. Yeah. Just relationships in general. So much. To um, do with that. just like it's not sex that isn't all about like. The, it's not about genitals. Yeah. Like there's like, so much more. It, there's so much more, mm-hmm. and I guarantee you, 100 percent of the people who leave sex ed, if they don't have a clit, they still don't know where the clit is. Oh my god. So, sex ed is useless, and I hate sex ed. That's so valid. Yeah. And, yeah, I, that's also has been my experience of it. Yes. Uh, so, is there anything we didn't talk about that you want to cover? Yeah. Um, I know that you said that you've done pole dancing, and mm-hmm. I obviously am still doing it. Yeah. Um, but... A lot of times um, there has been some kind of conflation and we've kind of touched on this Asian femme bit a lot. Um, and it's that a very popular genre of pole has been called exotic style. Yeah. So problematic. Which is so problematic. Yes. <laughs> like I can't even get into how problematic. Right. So like to just brief folks, um, a lot of times um, the history of pole dance came from strip clubs, which is amazing. I'm so glad that you know, strippers of the old and strippers of today are, like, really taking charge of their identities Mm -hmm. and making money with, like, their bodies in such a very powerful way. Um, Also, it was called exotic dancing, and it really does perpetuate fetishization. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of what I've seen from mainstream sexy pole, like, some people might call it pole classic style or 
um, erotic dancing mm-hmm. or sexual dancing is like um, there's the idea of sexiness that's being externalized and projected. Um, and even though a lot of people feel empowered, I just have so much nuance on that just because of like my identities. Oh yeah. Yeah. So a lot of people think that the moment you step into these really high platform heels, you're doing sexy pull. Right. Which also couldn't be further from the truth. Right. I know so many ace people who will step in with their heels and they will focus on heel work or they just like the feeling of being tall or, you know, just all these basic things. So Um, a lot of time people sexualize pole dance like crazy Mm -hmm. and to some extent that's understandable yeah but like I feel like it's it's become this thing that it's just I I think of it Mm -hmm. as a sport like I really do or not even a sport because I hate sports yeah like, (laughs) like I think of it as almost just like a like an art, like mm-hmm. a, you're out there doing a movement art, mm-hmm. as you call mm-hmm. it movement art, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what it is. Yeah. At, at the end of the day, a pole is just like a piece of metal. Or yeah. It's just an object for you to use as an apparatus. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I kind of wanted to, like, bring home the message that, like, even though I'm doing something that many people might consider sexy or playing into other parts of my identity, it's actually... I feel like it can be reclamation, but it's actually just a way, a medium for me to express authenticity. Yeah. And that can come across however you want. So I think like letting people know like, oh, hey, you have permission to do this thing. You don't have to explain what you're doing. Does it bring you joy? Does it not cause other people harm? Um, And if you have the capacity to explain it, like why not? So, right. Yeah. A lot of um, sexy pull, I feel like is actually sensuality. It's, it's yeah. beauty, it's joy, it's emotion, um, it's movement. So I feel like, you know, the word sexy is overblown and I kind of wanted to bring that home because pole dance is like, it's so much bigger. Yeah. 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 And g- going back to the heel work. Yeah. I admire people who can do that at all. Exactly. I can't do that. <laughs> it is hard. It's so hard. And it's like, it's hard to teach that correctly Mm -hmm. uh it's hard to condition that it's such a new sport and I'm finding like with the illnesses like I have to keep so on top of what I'm doing in my life that you know when you add heels to the mix it's like amazing the amount of skill you need right and why shouldn't that bring someone joy right yeah yes Mm -hmm. that's great Mm -hmm. so one more question Mm -hmm. uh who is someone important to you Mm, I Okay, this is really hard because I can think of when you asked that question, um, I immediately thought of like 10 different humans that I, <laughs> I just, I'm just like so almost overwhelmed with like the love I feel for them and the love that they give me back. Mm-hmm. Um, so I could talk about them all day, but like, I just really love my other cat that you haven't seen. Oh, the timid one? Yes. So okay. her name is Nyx. Oh, um, cute. And it means like, it's like a characterization of like the night in um, ancient Greek mythology. Cool. How do you spell it? N-Y-X. Okay. And she's like maybe like six to eight pounds. Um, And she's a black cat. And she has like part of her ear that's like um, been clipped because she was feral. And she doesn't have hair on her where her eyebrows should be. What? Yeah. So she has these little two bald patches with like little age oh, spots. That's cute. Um, and she's got these like tiny paws and some white stripes, and she doesn't have all her tail. Uh huh. So she to me looks like a really like 
worn, sweet, soft teddy bear. Yeah. And I'm like, I've always been a very sensual person. I have not always been a very sexual person. Mm -hmm. So the feeling of um, getting this like very formerly feral like rescue cat who I wouldn't have been able to see unless like the shelter person had like literally pointed me right to her face because <laughs> she was so hidden in a corner and I just saw her and like was having that difficult time with my sexual trauma um, for so many reasons being ace was part of that right um and I just saw her in a corner I pet her and she would just start drooling just like, drooling? Drooling. <laughs> just because she was relaxed? And, yeah. Oh. And, and it's like, <laughs> you were so, like, awkward and lovable. And um, so I just, like, immediately adopted her. And it took, like, months, weeks, months, years for her to, like, get close to me. Oh, wow. And I feel like um, that's taught me a lot about relationship building. Um, and it doesn't have to be from a human. I think when we as a culture only prioritize, like, the one singular like romance we don't think about the other kinds of presence in our lives Mm -hmm. and like this cat has like been there for me like my emotional support animal and um she's really smart she gets me and she like can know when I'm not feeling great or just be there in a reflexive way in that I like I just appreciate so much from another being Mm -hmm. um and, like, when I think about this kitty, like, it just brings me a lot of joy. And I'm like, this is, like, pure love. So, yeah. not I'm not saying that, like, I can't feel that way for other humans because I definitely do. But, like, right. I think it was the first time I'd felt that way ever. So, yeah. My gosh, that's great. I, you're not the first person to bring up their cat. Oh, that's um, great. At the end. So, I really like hearing about people's pets <laughs> so when people say their pets are their favorite people yeah. I, I really like it but it makes so much sense it makes sense and like <laughs> I'm sure I would do the same um so yeah good answer uh well that's all I have for you thank you yeah no thank you um and before we get into more thank yous I just want to make a quick announcement that we have a listener survey that we would love for you to fill out uh we are so lucky to have such an amazing community and we want to know how we're doing uh, you can find the link to the short survey on aokpod.com or in the episode description below. Thank you in advance. Your feedback is actually very important to us. Uh, and a big thank you to Christopher for becoming a monthly patron of the show and Zoe for becoming a monthly patron of the show. And as always, thank you to Uberkick for the use of their song AOK, to Tanner Grayler for creating our cover art, to Sophie Lalonde for editing and producing this episode, and to our amazing patrons at patreon.com slash AOKpod. I'll be back next week with another guest, but until then, I'm Courtney Lang. And I'm Christy. And, and we, we are, are AOK. AOK.